Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the Marketing Minds at DUConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. We're here, number 60. Becca's with us, and then Thais is going to be with us too for the uh, 360 topic. And, no, the whole, awesome. the whole dang thing. She's whole here. Thing. Oh my goodness. I'm here. Yeah. I'm crazy. Hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm crazy. We just need to keep adding. Like, let's get the whole team on one podcast at the same time. Yeah. Keep adding so I can take a break take every a now and then. That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Let's, uh, let's hop right into story time because we've got four of us here. So, Becca, kick us off. All right. I'm changing up how I feed my horse so Ooh. she can exercise and perform better. And it got me to thinking about how we need to feed our struggling communities to make sure they're getting the right leads so that we can have much more sales and make sure that everything is 100%. So that when you have a struggling community and if you need more help later on, you have the data to support when you go to show management that it's time to start looking at some of the P's. So this is interesting. How did you determine that you needed to change the diet for your horse, which relating to marketing, like how would you determine you need to change something well, as, as far as parallels? There was a, a long period where she couldn't really exercise and then the vet was involved and then we changed up her food and then she got better and then we had to change her food a little bit more. So long story okay. short, she was struggling. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no sales were happening. Changed no sales. Up, got better. And then you... Yeah. Reiteration, you got better again. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Cool. So everything's good now with horse. Uh, we're we're, we're <laughs> on the upswing right the now. Upswing. So that's good. Yeah. Nice. I'm just biting my tongue because I don't like horses. I don't, I don't trust <laughs> I them. I remember that. I remember that. I don't trust them. I grew up on a street that had a horse barn on it and I was always terrified of it. And then that guy who played Superman in the 80s got paralyzed by a horse. Yeah. And I just, I think they're human kryptonite. So. Next. They also eat dollar bills. <laughs> they eat dollar bills. It's like a boat. <laughs> Andrew, what about oh, you? That's funny. That's oh man. Well, this is about food and your body. So I went to this training clinic for working out, which is so funny. I feel like either you are into weights and picking things up, which is totally like caveman and weird, or you're not. So I'll relate it to what we could all relate to. But so I went to this training clinic this weekend on Saturday. It's a, I'm trying to think of a way to describe it. The person that owns it, like the highest level ever you could compete in, owns it. So everyone that works there is also filtered through him as far as the expertise level. So really, really smart people. They work with University of Tampa on research and everything. So it's a really interesting gym. It's private. You can't just join. You have to apply. So it's exclusive, all these sort of things. So really cool stuff. Anyways, I went to this thing and it was like the hardest mental workout I've ever had. One, it was like education, but it was also we got to lift with them as well. But like literally every inch of the exercises that we were going through, there was feedback from different trainers, like their coaches, like, go here, go here, externally rotate, pull this here. And you're like, what are you talking about, Andrew? But then you see the, the pros in the gym at the same time working out and they're doing the exact same thing, but it's just like they're normal every day. So I was thinking like, oh, we're working with so many different types of marketers and everyone's different skill levels. And at first, when you're doing something at the level that the quote experts are doing, 
like you're like this is the hardest thing ever like why am i yeah. doing this every little like in this case like <laughs> what i was going through was a was a hack squat every inch what had feedback as far as move this way don't do that slow down go faster well i'm like oh my gosh stop talking to me but after you get it you're like wow that's like 100% better 200% better that's what makes a difference so you might be like oh i'm doing what i did before but no not really you're doing it 200% better so i don't know if there's a moral of the story but like I think it's just with anything when you're learning it, it's super tough. It's super hard and you have to go inch by inch. But then over time, you're doing that over and over and over. You're getting your reps in on, mm -hmm. on building the ads, building the campaigns. Then that's yep. just your normal. And now your expectations as far as like, hey, this is how we do things. I'm like, this is totally like my life, except I was picking up weight. I'm like, but this is like <laughs> my, like the rest of my life is just doing. For sure. What thing. you're making me think of is for the last two years, everyone that we have regular conversations with it's been about teaching them how facebook ads manager works you know how to get in there from a targeting mm -hmm. perspective turning the ai on and off or changing its its targeting goals and just just learning how to get in there and remember when it used to be the power editor now it's the ads manager and but, mm -hmm. i mean there's so many different things there and now the vast majority of folks that we work with are very comfortable doing the basics oh, yeah. in there and some are yeah. some are also advanced but now we're doing round two or, or coming around again with all right, here's Data Studio, and we built out these great things for you, but here's how you can change them, customize them, play with them. And on the call, they're like, this is amazing. And then when I'm like, okay, now you start, they're like, oh, no, this is... Oh, no. And I have to remind them, remember, this is just like Facebook, right? You were like, what is this? It looks weird. It looks different. And this is just another, like you said, it's just another skill that you need to start picking up. And but mm -hmm. that, that initial... It's like anything else, a diet or, or exercise anything. program, yeah. right? If, if one, if you're mentally already like, Ugh, I have to do that, yeah. you're going to have a harder time <laughs> than if you just say, you know what? I can sit wherever I want in my house. I can eat whatever bad ice cream I want, and I'm going to figure this out, right? Like you don't have, yeah. this is not that manual labor. No one's got a gun to your head. You're not being asked to do a hex squat or whatever it was you said. It's like in your own <laughs> comfort of your own home. <laughs> In your pajamas, if you want, you can watch videos, you can, you can play around, you, you can test things, you know, it's, it's like, that's a 1% kind of problem. Yeah. I would even say like yeah. when you're trying to learn those new skills, like do it when you're the most comfortable. I mean, not everyone has that luxury of like, well, I have, it's Friday at 345. I have to get this thing done, but I'd say try to make it enjoyable. I mean, I think we should enjoy our work and, and have fun with it. Like, well, that's, that's the other thing. Definitely. You know. It's a sign of how much you enjoy what you do when, when you're like, I've got some extra time, I'm going to play around with this. And again, not that everyone mm -hmm. needs to be in that position, but if you're wondering why you can't do hex squats that like the best lifter ever, Absolutely. that might be why, right? Yeah. You don't want to do it. <laughs> that's honest. That's it. Yeah, bad. sorry. <laughs> Thais, to give us something different. <laughs> Take us something different. <laughs> well, Ooh. let's see. The last time this podcast was recorded, I was supposed to be on, but I was riding out Tropical Storm Barry. I live in New Orleans. And so it was an interesting experience. We're no stranger to tropical weather here and hurricanes, but this was literally the slowest moving storm ever. <laughs> So by the time, so we had gotten all our supplies and we were totally prepared. And by the time the storm was actually making landfall, 
We had eaten through 80% of our food. Okay. <laughs> we had played all the games we could play with our four-year-old. We were ready to go outside and the storm was just hitting. So oh, man. yeah, so it's uh, it's interesting because the storm actually fizzled out, which was great. Yeah. But just this week on Monday, we had a regular rain shower and we had three feet of water in my street. <laughs> so it just shows you, you have to be prepared for any situation. And if it doesn't happen, at least you are prepared for the inevitable or for yeah. whatever surprises come after, come after that, the value of, of preparation. Okay. Two quick things. One, that tap, tap, tapping sound that you hear in the background is actual new homes being built in Becca's neighborhood. Yes. So right across that, the street. Can't edit that out. That's that not a real. storm that's happening in the background again for Thais or anything. That's just actual progress being made on an actual new home. In fact, maybe we just make make that like a standard background track of people <laughs> sawing and Hammer. hammering and doing different in different regions. <laughs> like, where's this builder at? Yeah. And then the other thing that that story reminds us of, or should remind us of, and I'm knocking on my bamboo standing desk while I say this, there will be a storm in your career, probably two or three in most people's uh, career in this industry, you will be weathering two to three storms in terms of the cyclical nature of the business. And so just like you said, you hopefully you're, you're not eating all 80% of your food before the storm, <laughs> but you should always have or be working on yourself and your company so to make weathering the storm easier. No doubt about that, because at some point it will come. Always buy 20% more than you need. Just like in building material. And I have to say, it's way too soon for any name storms. I know that's, that's normal, but oh my it's like, goodness. get it's out of so here. It's so early in the on. season. Too soon. That's Run funny. Seas. Okay, mm. I'm going to switch my story time up to horses because uh, you mentioned <laughs> those evil creatures. So this is just totally a fun story about nothing. Uh, oh everyone, when I went to college, everyone knew that I hated horses because it's just been a thing with me. And this girl asked me out on what's called a pick a date. And so they just kind of, I don't know, randomly pick someone to go on a, on a date with a group of other people. And I was like, awesome. What are we doing? She's like, I can't tell you. It's a secret. Uh, <laughs> she was part of the equestrian team. Oh, no. Oh, no. And so the pick a date was to go to the horse farm, whatever the hell place they call it. And we did, <laughs> uh, what's that called when you like race back and forth? Like I had to hold a spoon with an egg, egg and on spoon it. race. Yeah. It was like these relay races. That's what it was. It was yeah. Relay races on horseback. And oh, the no. Sentinel didn't even have anything to hold on. Like there's not a, whatever you call no. that thing in the middle. Yeah. Like, this horse is just going wherever it wants to go. I was just the worst. It was one of the worst days of my life. That's super mean. Really, yeah. Right. So I, I just took it as like in middle school, people who like you are mean to you. So she must've really liked me. Um, or she just, good. She had fun laughing. That's for sure. The whole night. Oh. Um, yeah, that's my story. And I'm sticking to sticking it. To it. <laughs> that's that's it. a story. No horses. Um, hey, and I, I have been bad about checking the voicemail. I don't think anyone's been brave enough, but we're going to keep saying this. You've got uh, an outlet to ask questions, make comments on the past week's episode or, or any topic that you want. Just call us at 404-369-2595. And we'll put that in the show notes as always. Give us a call. The first one might get something really cool. If we have to bribe Ooh. you, right? Yeah. I'm not above bribery ever. Just like, ask my something kids. Something really good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's hop over to the news. And we got some fun ones this week for sure. I did that just for you, Andrew. Good. We got some fun I like ones. this first one. This one's a fun one. 
Super <laughs> Facebook fined $5 billion for privacy violations. This is no uh, a Washington Post article. And what's really interesting to me is a lot of people feel like it's not a big enough dollar amount. I've heard a lot of experts say that this should, if this really was supposed to be a fine, it should have been, get ready for this, $50 billion. Okay. Okay. Wow. Because the $5 billion is truly at their size and power or whatever, just a slap on the wrist. And honestly, you know, the stock did not take a big hit when it actually went up a little bit. I think they also like had... They were like, cool, we're done with this thing. $5 billion, yeah, yeah. we're done. Yeah. Yep. I think it was only like 9% of their revenue and 18% of their yeah. profit for 2018. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So that happened. Privacy is obviously a big deal. But the other part of this whole thing that I think is interesting to talk about just from a business perspective is Facebook now and Mark Zuckerberg in particular really encouraging the whole idea of additional government oversight and saying, look, make the laws, we will follow them. But we're living in this wild west, partly because you are not addressing it. And I think that's a really interesting approach yeah. because whenever laws are created and things are True. made more complex, it actually favors the larger incumbents in the space because they have the revenue, to your point, Becca, mm -hmm. To, yeah. okay, this is a really complicated law and we're going to have to hire extra lawyers. But like, no big deal. That's another half a percent of revenue we'll, we'll throw over there. Yeah. Whereas a new startup company trying to get involved in social who has all these new government regulations and oversight and extra expense being added on top of them. So I think it's an interesting potential uh, strategy that he's using here of saying, yes, regulate us. We need your regulation. And I think it's an interesting change of tone uh, from not too long ago. Is that like a... I wish I went to law school because I'd know this answer. Like laws are created post mm -hmm. issue. Like, right. Like it's like something happens, we need a law for it. And the, and then the opposite of that would not be oh, how we function. I, I don't even know what you're saying. Right, so that, yeah, I'm, I don't, I'm, we're getting like, they're really, your cool. dad's a lawyer. You, you, you've been working in a law office for the I last know. year and a half. You, this is, I feel like this is, it's, I don't know what word it'd be. Someone who like really knows this stuff is like, oh, Andrew, I is know what like you're talking about. Is it like proactive versus reactive? Yeah, like it'd be like what Mark is saying is like, we don't function this way as a society to create laws until there yeah. is this privacy issue. Create them now. Like you don't do it ahead of the issue oh, because there yeah, wasn't an issue. Yes, the United States of America yeah. function, right? You know what I mean? Like You don't want to regulate things when there, there isn't an issue. I think honestly... Let, let's be real. Remember back to the hearings and these guys like not understanding at all how Facebook makes money. You know, that classic, <laughs> how do you make money? Well, Senator, we sell ads. It doesn't matter post, pre, whatever. The law is going to be ridiculous yeah, and probably yeah. overly burdensome on them, mm -hmm. which I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But what I am saying is there's a reason why there hasn't been another Snapchat showing up on the scene is because it is getting harder and harder and more expensive for social networks to cut through. So uh, other than TikTok, which again, <laughs> I've told this on, Andrew was on a call <laughs> with me earlier. Like yeah, I just, I, I mean, I'm TikTok. loving TikTok. It's the funniest place in the world I, to hang out. Um, I've never, I just love it. I'm sure I've seen something from it. Is it, it's like, um, it's every meme or, or challenge that you find on Instagram okay. has probably started on TikTok first. It's just where all the funny, cool kids hang out, apparently. It's a new version um, of Vine, essentially. Kind of, yeah. Okay. Yep. I honestly, I just, I've had it installed for maybe a year, and I've just, over the past week and a half, really started to like it. But it, it does seem rather complex to create good content on. But anyway, it's, 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 uh, 
it's the only one that had any legs recently. And I think part of that's just because um, everyone's trying to figure out how to get around privacy and yet make money at the same time. All right. The next one, which is, I was surprised that people weren't more freaked out or interested about this one is about the yeah. Amazon and Rheology partnership. So if you remember, I think it was at PCBC time, there was an announcement that Amazon was investing via their home automation arm or something into a manufactured housing company. And holy cow, I mean, just whispers in the hallway. What <laughs> They're like, Amazon's building homes now. What's going on? Oh, the world's ah. changing. And then the largest real estate brokerage in the country makes a partnership with Amazon. And everyone's kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, that's interesting. So before we get everyone's thoughts on this, just to break it down for you, the program is called Turnkey. And in essence, um, Amazon, I feel like, I'll give you my opinion as I give you the landscape. They have hoodwinked Rheology into paying out of their brokerage agency fee. They've hoodwinked them into giving some of that money to Amazon so that Amazon can install more of their own products in a house to make more rep. Like, I see how this is a huge win for Amazon. I don't even know that I would consider it, though, them entering into real estate as much as just taking over real estate as a shopping platform. I just think it's genius by Amazon. They should roll this out to as many different people as they can, as fast as they can, because they're going to make money forever on on this like oh, yeah yeah it seems like it's less about the purchase of the house and more for amazon and more about what can we can we get partners in to paint for you you want new furniture like all the things you need for your house that sort of stuff yep i guess i didn't give full context depending on the purchase price of the home that you use and i guess even backing up further so the idea is they're going to advertise this platform on Amazon's uh, website and app, which I think is a little bit interesting. Yeah. Like, hey, we noticed you're shopping for a house and you're looking for a new crock pot. You want to keep shopping for a house here or contact a real estate agent? I'm, I'm still a little dubious right. about how well that part works. Yeah. But the idea is they're going to connect you with one of the quote unquote best agents at a rheology partner Ever. in your area. If you end up purchasing a home through that agent, depending on the price point of the home, you get different tier packages of Amazon smart home products, ring doorbells, cameras, Echo Dots, Echo Shows. Some of them have a Sonos speaker or two mixed in. Amazon will install them as well. And then like you were saying, Becca, you get, you get a credit towards using Amazon's basically Angie's List service where they connect you to contractors through Amazon who offer services to help you unpack or to paint a room or hang the TV on the wall. So the idea is we're going to make, you know, we're going to make your life easier and we're going to give you a bunch of free Amazon. It's like Christmas in your <laughs> new home that wasn't smart. And now it is smart. That's kind of the deal in full scopes. So now let's get everyone's perspective. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it's just another way to remove some friction, I guess, from the home buying process. If someone is already you know, on Amazon and has been looking at, at houses that just Amazon just basically takes that consumer and delivers everything they need an agent, and then just makes the process a little bit smoother, I think. Yeah, there's no doubt that- having the ability when people are already nervous about all the changes going to come in their life to for, for an agent to be able to say, you know what, no problem, you've got $1,000 or at the high end up to a $5,000 credit 
towards a contractor coming in to do anything that you need done, essentially, that you can book through Amazon. So no matter what the objection is or the concern is, you know, oh my gosh, it's going to take us weeks to unpack. Our life's going to be chaotic. No, you don't have to do that. I mean, here, you you can use this service. So I think that's that's definitely a benefit for Rheology. But I don't, like, why couldn't they have just done it on their own? Yeah. Is, is there a benefit of, of putting those brand names together officially in the way they have, I guess is... That's, what, to think about. that's my part. I'm like, because the end, the end goal is to get, I feel like for Amazon is to get more of their products into. Yeah, that's all home. they care about. Yeah. You know? like. So I, I, I don't know why they wouldn't have just made a moving.amazon.com or I don't know, something where it's like anyone that's moving, like tailor a service that is more ideal. Like, so we, we just moved, Becca, you just moved like, and so we have the, the show over there. We have one upstairs we got the ring doorbell we got the august door lock so there's all these things all purchased through amazon but it wasn't like there wasn't the uh turnkey service we didn't do that because i bought them at all different times but what if there was yep. for anybody regardless of who they bought from where it's a discount you could like the more you add the more discount you get type of deal instead of making you have to go through like this weird i don't know, i feel like it's just weird like oh it's on my amazon shopping i don't have to there's this realtor yeah. connection like what like i don't want to overly poo-poo cool. it because there is genius in the sense of it's almost like they're f- the when they first came out with free shipping everyone was what? like what yeah. you get free shipping two-day free shipping and they got that idea from zappos i think right but what's interesting to me is it's similar to free shipping in that hey did you know most people don't even know you can book contractors to come do things like that through amazon right so it's almost like uh Hey, here's this free opportunity to use these contractor services. And then if, you know, the grass is mowed to your satisfaction or you like that painter, do you start going back to Amazon more regularly to get those contractors? And so it's kind of like a try before you hopefully come back again and again for a service that most people don't know Amazon even offers. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really smart of Amazon. It's totally different than when when I was like, yep. Realology and Amazon? Is Amazon getting into selling houses? No, yeah, they're not. And that there's those are the final two points in the article. One is a reminder that Lennar partnered with Amazon in 2018 to introduce the smart home experience showrooms, where Amazon outfitted all the Lennar model homes with smart home technology available for purchase on its site and something of a show and sell strategy. Then Lennar offered 90 days of free Amazon home services with the purchase of a home. So this isn't brand new idea either, but Rheology being as big as they are, it's definitely newsworthy. Now, in terms of what does this really mean? At the end, it also says that while they're launching turnkey in 15 major metropolitan housing markets, he did not, the person interviewed from Rheology suggests that they are, this is a stepping stone to putting all of their listings on Amazon. We have never had that conversation with Amazon, he said. So again, I think Amazon's being super smart. Yeah. They don't want to get in the middle of this right now, mm-hmm. right? They, mm-hmm. they have plenty of time, I think, to figure out what's going on because at their scale, they can jump in quickly. Yeah. What? They just want to get more people being able to say, hey, you, order me more baby wipes and, yeah. and make it as easy as possible. And let Zillow figure out the selling homes online for everyone else and they can just hop in the market. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. We're going to save our last one for another time just for the sake of moving on, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to put Thais in the hot seat and figure mm-hmm. out for those of you who may not know, most of you do, uh, who she is, what she's doing here, where she comes from, 
and her previous experience in home builder marketing. We'll be right back. And we're back to talk to our very own, we're happy to say, Thais Cuffey. Yay. I'm not saying to say thank you for joining us because you've actually been here behind the scenes now for almost a month, thankfully getting me out of the editing uh, job on the podcast and doing a fantastic job. And I just thought it'd be fun to sit down with you and let everyone kind of meet you, but also understand your full background because... Your official title, which we let you make up, I think, because we don't really do titles here, <laughs> is content and event manager. That's right. But you have a really wide breadth of background and experience. And so let's just start with your origin story. Um, yeah. qu- quick pathway of places you've been prior to joining the team here. Yeah. So, well, this, I have to say, this is a little um, odd feeling to me. I'm usually sort of like the mad scientist behind the scenes. So, being in front of, well, not in front of the scenes, but on the mic is a little <laughs> bit different yep. for me. But yeah, so I've been in the new home sales and industry for probably 10 years. My first job out of college was actually a position with an apartment locating service in Atlanta, which was sort of my first introduction huh. to real estate. I thought it was an interesting industry. I was with that company for about four years, and then I Worked for a little bit with a resale team. And then I joined the marketing directors in Atlanta, which at the time was the Southeast largest sales and marketing firm for urban development. So condos, townhomes, and some master plan communities. Yeah. Um, I feel like whenever there was an award ceremony anywhere back in the earlier days of my, of my career, like they were winning everything. I mean, they were just yeah. doing really, really progressive urban high rise type stuff. Yeah, we did some really cool stuff. There was a marketing directors, uh, the original company was founded up in New York. And then one of the founding partners came to Atlanta and opened the Southeast division. But we worked with some really innovative developers who were trying to do different things and make good use of urban space. So we had the opportunity to, to be really creative with some of our sales and marketing strategies. And we eventually had projects throughout the Southeast. So, the, you know, Florida and obviously Georgia and Carolinas and all over. It was pretty cool. And then a little thing called the Great Recession happened. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I, yeah, I, well, it did. And it was an interesting time. I actually stayed with the marketing directors through that time period. But it was very interesting because resources became quite lean. Departments were cutting folks left and right. I managed to be one of the few that that stayed on. And so yeah. let me give context real quick for people yeah. who are too young, because I, I keep it blows my mind how many people now don't even remember or were not around this. <laughs> when I was in Pittsburgh, which is the perfect place to be in this downturn for, for me and my family and just career and everything, I'd call back to my colleagues in Columbus and their market would be down 40% year over year. Yeah. And we were down eight. In Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. And then I'd call them again the next year. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's getting better. We only dropped another 20%. Like, yeah. it was just, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was a tough time. And the Atlanta market in particular took quite a hit. So the, the company had to do some refocusing and restructuring. And we ended up being fine at the time. But yeah, I was able to stay with them through 
through that time period. And then life just, we got busy again. And I was traveling several times a month all, all over the Southeast of the United States. And after a while, that sort of lifestyle got to be a little <laughs> much and, and I was ready for something a little bit different. And Lasso CRM was actually a vendor of mine at the marketing directors. And, and I, I spoke to my client director often over there. And when he found out that I was looking for a change, he said, hold up, I know somebody who wants to talk to you. <laughs> so uh, within a short period of time, I came on as marketing manager for Lasso. And so probably a lot of folks listening to this have seen my name associated with Lasso, but probably never really saw me or heard my voice. So hello. <laughs> yeah. And you were with Lasso for how many years? About six years. Yeah. Long, long time. time. Long time. It's certainly during the during the rapid growth years too, because uh, I mean, Lasso is number one home builder specific CRM system. Now it was not, it was always big, but it kind of started more with urban projects, condos uh, in those kind of markets. And so I'm sure it was fun to watch the growth and how that kind of uh, ebbed and flowed with single family versus multifamily developers. Let's get into the thick of it here. So we, we covered your background uh, talk to us about how you've approached content marketing, because that was a big focus of yours at Lasso and obviously a big focus in terms of content creation and curation and editing and, and publishing and all that here at Do You Convert, as well as helping us run the summit and other events. But in your, in your time, both the marketing directors, Lasso and now here, any bigger themes or trends you've seen in terms of how content has been created or the depth of that content, the how you go about researching ideas or coming up with, with that? T talk to us a little bit about this thing you spent so much time on over the last yeah. six plus well, years. Last, so at the marketing directors, my, my role was really managing an entire marketing communications program. So that included advertising and PR and, and content and the whole, the whole shebang. But my background is in communications, my degrees in communications and writing and that sort of thing. So when I got to Lasso, I was super excited because content was a huge part of, of what I did. And I had to shift a little bit because at the marketing directors, obviously it was B2C and with Lasso, it was B2B. But in the end, you know, whether you're marketing to consumers or businesses, people are people. So it's really for me about creating some value. It's not about selling, you know, it's about creating value, educating someone, being informative, being a resource, sometimes even providing some entertainment. You know, you, you want to do something or produce content that helps solve a problem rather mm -hmm. than sell. And that's always been my approach at Lasso. And that's certainly my approach here. And so, yeah, yeah. it requires a certain level of patience, I imagine. Well, yes. Yeah. So this type of content is not just wham, bam, 140 characters and you're done. You know, you really takes research, I believe. Sometimes you have to interview people and, you know, find some supporting information and statistics and, and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I, I think... Yeah, which is great because in the past, we've just made everything up mostly <laughs> here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it is awesome to have you be able to go into that extra depth. And I've also, um, maybe a little insight too, we let people loose here. We, we're very picky about who comes in, but then once you're here, we're kind of like, here's where some general ideas and then go. And I've been really impressed with how you have gone back and repurposed some content. So talk to me about kind of your workflow of how you determined 
what was worth repurposing or what needed refreshed uh, versus could just simply be talked about again. Just get us in the mind of how you were processing some of that. Well, my approach coming in was going back to analytics. Everything sort of can come back to analytics and just going through, you know, Google analytics and, you know, engagement and that sort of thing. And just seeing what has resonated with people, whether it's a particular blog post or a particular topic that more content can be produced from. If it's a really special blog post that was posted seven years ago, and it's still absolutely relevant, there's nothing wrong with, you know, updating it for the current year and giving it to people again, you know, as, as a reminder, a refresher, that sort of thing. So content doesn't always have to be a hundred percent brand new and fresh, especially if you already know what people have been attracted to in the past or what, what has resonated with people. You can sort of follow a theme and follow a line of thought and repurpose, yep. reformat, republish, create new from an existing topic. Talk to me about the comfort level or how do you approach, I'm thinking of marketers for a home builder where if you go back through that process of repurposing or, or editing or trying to adapt something, how do you know, and I don't know if there's an easy answer to this either, how do you know when it's okay or if you're crossing a line and making it into something different and how do you go back and figure out if that's okay or... Because one of the challenges I think generally with content marketing as a, as a group, and hopefully we do an okay job to not make your life difficult here is you are reliant often on so many other folks at the same time to give a final approval, to do a review or to, to give a sign off of some kind. So talk to us a bit about how you, how you think about that or approach that. Well, this is when it's really important to have open lines of communication between marketing and sales. And for these two groups to work together as a unit toward the same goal, you know, marketing people should always have conversations on a regular basis with sales to find out what's happening on the ground and find out because a lot of times marketers can, well, sometimes marketers can become a bit removed from reality or from what's happening, you know, in the, in the model or or on the sales floor. That sounds like a t-shirt design too. (laughs) It does. So just, it's communication. It's just talking to people. It's, and, and looking for the stories, looking for what matters to people, that sort of thing. So I'd say definitely keep the lines of communication open with everyone in your company, particularly with sales, with the people who talk in your OSEs, the people who talk to your prospects and your buyers on an everyday basis, because that's where you're content's going to come from your, your, your inspiration for content. That's where it's going to come from. Yep. And both you and Becca have done this and I encouraged it when Becca started with us, you kind of also were like, Hey, I need to be listening in on calls that you have with builder partners too. Yeah. And while Becca's, you know, you're in the mix of, of updating ads and making changes. And, and so you need to kind of get the pulse of what's going on. Thais, you were asking for a, a little bit different purpose, right? It's like, hey, I just want to be a fly on the wall. Yeah. To... It's keeping your finger on the pulse of your industry, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've been in this industry for 10 years, but it's things change all the time. Markets change, market conditions change, values and priorities change, needs change. And so just because you've done a job for six years or 10 years, that doesn't mean that you know what tomorrow is going to bring. So, you know, it's just, it's important to keep your finger on the pulse. And that means, you know, asking to be a part of a phone call or asking to be a part of a meeting or making sure you're, you're visiting your model homes as marketers, visiting your model homes and your sales centers 
in person regularly, even if it's just sitting sort of to the side and, and observing a conversation that's happening or something like that. Yeah, just that idea of being naturally curious and driven to want to explore beyond what might feel like an artificial boundary of, no, you're not supposed to go there, marketer, right? I mean, when you're listening on a call, you need to know both culturally or attitudinally like, okay, I've known Kevin for a long time, but what is it really like when he's coaching someone or working mm -hmm. with, a, with a builder partner? What does that look like? What does that feel like? So I make sure that the content we're creating reflects that proper tone. You're also probably figuring out like, holy cow, there's a scope of work. And then sometimes these conversations go anywhere they go. And so, you know, you might think that the content that you'd be creating for us needs to be limited to purely this one space. But as you're listening to those calls, you know, you might, you might see and pick up on patterns that I don't because I'm right in the middle of it. So I just thought it was awesome that you were like, hey, I want to hop in here on, on a couple different calls and make sure I know, know how it's going. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. All right, let's talk about, as we wrap up here, content platforms and tools. So you're a consumer as much as a marketer. We all are. So what are your favorite, you know, we know Will is a, his place is Twitter. Will Duter said at MI, that's his place. We know Chris Hartley has chosen to camp out on LinkedIn because he's hiding from too many ex-girlfriends on Facebook. I'm just kidding. Just kidding, Chris. I've had this new fascination with TikTok now, although I'm not posting or creating content there. What are your favorite platforms that you just naturally are gravitating towards? And then kind of follow up, which ones do you find are most effective right now for, I guess, what you're doing here with us, but also when you were at Lasso? So I'm a blogger. I love the blog platform. It's part of your website. It's owned content. If someone pulled the cord on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter tomorrow, you would still have your content on your blog and on, on your website. You know, I just, I love the process of, of blogging. I love the type of information you can put in a blog post and then you can create, you know, snippets of that for the social platforms. But I am a huge fan of the blog platform. I love it. Yeah. And yeah, that's very insightful. Not, not what I would have, even just to consider that as a platform, I think is, is really, really smart because it definitely is and can be, like you said, translated to so many other things relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. But okay, now now not no work involved at all. Just personally, <laughs> okay. do you you don't hang out in blogs? Do you or maybe you do? Just do you follow other people's blogs and comment back, or do you have a social network where you kind of stalk people? I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I do follow I do follow blogs. And before I had my child, I would actually read them at night. But the natural extension from a consumer's perspective of blogs is Instagram. And so that would probably be my social platform of choice just for consuming content. Mm -hmm. I feel like you also have a Twitter bent too, or no? Because that was no. like one of the first things that you were like, and okay, then it was just the pure marketer. You're like, hey, do you convert? You guys suck at Twitter. Personally, <laughs> you have accounts that you use, but the, the actual company account has not been used. We need to get that fired up. So, I, okay. So you're, you're not like a, a closet Twitter fanatic. So I think for as a business, you have to be on Twitter. You want to have a presence. It helps you establish authority and, and credibility. And it, it, you know, if someone wants to reference your organization on Twitter, then you, you definitely need that. But as far as me personally, I'm a really visual person and Twitter tends, it can get a little noisy from a personal perspective, but Twitter is the first place I'll go if I'm looking for updates on something. So if there is a software platform that I'm using that has gone down, the first place that I go is Twitter to 
see what the latest is, what the status is. If there's live events that's happening, Twitter is it's far and above any other social platform for keeping track of like what's happening live type of thing and getting people's perspectives, of, you know, during a live event, that sort of thing. So, so yeah, it has its time and place. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, that'll do it. Just want to give everyone a chance. Oh yeah. And by the way, she also, like we said, beyond content, uh, we, I, I call her the queen of content here. She also is, you know, just a fantastic resource for us on the event side. So any, any events that we're involved with going forward, you can just, um, set the expectation now it's, it's taken a step up for sure since we've got someone here yeah, uh, spending time and here. energy on that. So yeah, it's awesome. Let's hop over since we're, this is all kind of family time anyway. We don't need to take another break. Let's hop straight into the answers from last week's question of the week, which I'm pulling up here. And it was funny. I was on a coaching call with someone and they're like, this is, this is insightful on human behavior, right? Typically, these type of polls are, we get a good number of answers back. This one, the, the question was, historically, what is your most challenging summer month for sales and traffic? And, and this person was awesome. She's like, yeah, everyone looks at that and they're like, Hmm, I'm not admitting to anything quasi not perfect in my life, right? Uh, and that's it. we were talking about that right before that. We were talking about how different software solutions or processes, you know, it is fantastic to reach out and ask other builders how they do things. Just know that oftentimes that builder is giving you the best potential scenario, not necessarily the real scenario of the day to day, you know. How's that thing working out for you? Oh, it's great. We're selling all kinds of stuff. Or, you know, how is this position in your company? Is it adding value? Oh, yeah, it's great. And then when you go to, for a visit, like we often do, and you kind of peek under the hood, uh, again, like we say, oftentimes you go to a conference, what's your cost per lead? Huh? Yeah, mine's, uh, mine's better. My, um, I got $20, $5, $2. Our leads are free. They just beg us to build homes for them. You know, <laughs> sometimes you don't get the full story. So, this this one, I, we could technically skip because there was only a handful of responses. But August is the winner. I think historically, just for me, it was July. That was usually the bigger, bigger challenge for some reason. For us, it was June because of all of the graduations. Mm. I think in any case, whether it's a combination of the consumer checking out or sometimes sales team kind of predetermining that the summer is slower, that they might be taking vacations as well, whatever that cause is. I will just give you this additional story. And it's one of the things we talk about all the time, whether it's Lasso or any CRM system, having a CRM system and having a good online sales team is one yeah. of the single best ways to smooth out and even out your business. You want to get rid of those summer lows and those spring ultra highs that you sell so many homes, no one could possibly build them all. And then you get unhappy customers. You want to even out your business. Those two things are absolutely critical to, to making that happen. Because what we're really seeing when we see that cyclical nature of the business is there is a cyclical nature to when buyers enter the market and shop, but there is not necessarily a cyclical nature to when people buy in terms of what marketing and sales can do to influence that. We can do that 24-7, but we have to have them in the system, in the CRM, and we have to have a good online team or a good on-site team that is nurturing those leads at all times the best way possible. So, yep. all right, that'll do it for this week. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. 
Remember, there's going to be a mystery prize for the first voicemail. And have a great week. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, everyone.